Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowley.
Yeah, watch out, brother, for that long black train. That devil's driving that long black train. Our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth and 10th chapters. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or an extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, Search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what, you, what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to speak. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man arrives. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You know, in the old world, there are many countries where the main way of farming is sheep farming. Now, we're much more familiar with cattle. Those 1,000-pound massive cows and 2,000-pound bulls and steers, those huge animals that can generally take care of themselves when a coyote or even a few wolves show up. Anyone who's tried to push a full-grown cow around or been cornered by a bull knows that those large animals can be very dangerous, especially if they're longhorns, and they lower their heads together to face down the hundred-pound wolves, even a lone cow has a very dangerous kick that can seriously injure an attacking wolf. Only the weakest and the sickest 
and the occasional calf or any danger from those wild dogs. But sheep are different. They don't have the sheer size of cattle, and so they're much more vulnerable. But they do have certain advantages on their side. First, they've got that thick coat of wool, which means that a wolf usually has to knock over a sheep before the wolf can get in a good bite. And next, they have the advantage of the flock supporting them, with rams ready with their horns to butt into any attacking wolves. But man has helped the sheep even more, and it's been very important. We're familiar with the sleek, smart herding dogs that sheep herders use, the border collie or the Australian shepherd that Pat has, and even the German shepherd. And these smart dogs, they work with a shepherd to keep the flock together so they're less vulnerable. But these herding dogs, they're not very effective against even a lone wolf attacking because the wolf may weigh 100 to 120 pounds, while the border collie weighs just about 40 or 50 pounds. And so over the centuries, sheep herders developed different breeds of dogs to guard the flock and deal with the wolves. These other breeds are known as sheep guard dogs. The well-known Great Pyrenees is one of these sheep guard dogs. Stands 30 inches high at the shoulder and ranges from 100 to 160 pounds in size and has a thick coat. Most important is the way that they're raised though. Sheep guards like Great Pyrenees and others are raised as puppies with the flock. They aren't raised as pets. Instead, they grow up with and in the flock. Many even look like sheep, and they begin to smell like sheep. And after a few months, they begin to believe that they are sheep. But they're the toughest sheep going. And so when wolves attack a flock, they find that some of those weak and defenseless sheep that the wolves are looking at have huge muscles and strong bites and are tougher than any wolf. And they don't take kindly to a wolf attacking their sheep friends. For those great Pyrenees are truly wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're on the side of the sheep, not the wolves. And there's a lesson here for us. Indeed, there's several lessons here for us. Jesus was traveling around Galilee and Judea with his disciples. He spoke of the kingdom of God repeatedly, that kingdom which, was ruled, which wasn't ruled by physical or military power, but a place ruled by the meek, the quiet, strong men and women who were like powerful farm horse stallions who were gentle and under great self-control. It was a kingdom where, there, where those with kind, humble spirits lead, a kingdom where the ability to shed tears when mourning was seen as a strength instead of a weakness, a place where everyone of any importance recognized that they were dependent upon God and not themselves, a kingdom where wisdom was admired much more than mere knowledge. Well, Jesus went around and he healed every disease and sickness. And this was odd because he didn't avoid the people who were ill like everyone else did. He had compassion on the crowd because Matthew says they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Have you ever felt harassed and helpless? Have you ever felt like the entire universe is against you this week? 
Have you ever felt like there are people in your life who are constantly fighting you, persecuting you, treating you poorly, teasing you, picking on you, picking at you like ducks picking at the ground? Do you feel like there's always one more bill to pay, one more piece of paper to file, one more jerk to deal with? Well, we've all felt that way from time to time because we don't control the universe. In the old days when farming was the life of many of us, the farm, you know, the ground was always, it was either too wet to plant, then when we were able to plant, a flock of birds would eat the seeds, and then it didn't rain for a month, and then fog moved in, and fungus grew on the plants, and about the time that the bug, about that time the bugs came to the garden, and then the deer took a bite of, out of each apple. They didn't eat the whole apple, they just took a bite out of each one. And just as we were ready to harvest the hay, we got a week-long heavy rain. And so many of us and our parents became factory workers with good, steady paychecks until there was a fire at the plant, and then a supplier stopped shipping, and we had a part shortage. About the time we got really going good, a Japanese competitor took our best customers, and the factory was consolidated in Mexico. And then there are the people today who work in customer service, in sales, in retail, in restaurants. Imagine the life of an ordinary restaurant worker. They hear this, I asked for blue cheese dressing, not ranch dressing. And there's a wilted leaf in my salad. My breadstick is dry. The, the chicken's pink inside. Will you send it back? Oh, by the way, I'm out of iced tea. Thanks for the chicken but it's now overcooked and you brought me unsweet tea and I had sweet tea. I just can't eat these french fries. They've got too much salt on them. You know, it's not my fault that, you're, that half your staff quit yesterday. Stop making excuses over why your service is so slow. You should be able to handle seven tables by yourself. It's too bad you're out of salmon. My friend came here just because I told her how good your salmon was with your Valentine's Day special. Yes, I realize that today is June, and that was a once-a-year special, but you'd think. Can you get me the manager? Come on, Betsy. Let's go and not leave a tip. Yeah, lots of people today feel harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd trying to walk alone through this world that seems to be filled with packs of wolves, people that are packs of wolves. Of course, we would never be a wolf in this story, would we? Words change over time. Today, the people who were formerly thought of as wolves today are labeled toxic people. And this is all the rage on Facebook and TikTok, how to identify the toxic people in your life and then wall them off from your life. But there's no standard and objective way that all the videos and postings agree upon how to identify these toxic people. Some of the more political postings have labeled the toxic people as those people who support a different candidate, either in the last election or in, in the next election, you can, you can tell these people by the bumper stickers that their cars wear or by their Facebook postings. That's what we're told. Of course, these postings all disagree about which candidate's supporters are toxic. And some people label, label toxic people as the unreasonable boss that gets upset when you're five minutes late other people identify toxic people as the workers that always arrive five minutes late. 
and some people label toxic people parents or grandparents who judge our behavior, and other people label their children as toxic people because they insist on getting their own way. Other people, we say they're toxic because of the opinions they hold about groups of people. They either dislike or support people we like or dislike. It seems that disagreements have become the main reason we label people as toxic, especially those people who stand up for a particular point of view. After all, aren't our views about a song or an action or a cause worth locking someone out of our lives? After all, we're right and they're wrong. And that appears to be the real issue here. You see, rather than saying we disagree over whether or not to eat fish on Fridays during Lent, but we love each other anyway, it seems that everything has become personal. Every disagreement's worth a massive fight. Every negative comment about someone is denying the personhood of someone else. Every expression of sorrow or of gladness, of disgust, is reason to label someone a toxic person. Because we never learn to accept another person's point of view and learn from it, but only learn how to argue to win. And you know, winning is everything. In politics, in life, in families, in the world. And so everything becomes World War III. And of course, we can't afford to lose World War III. So our friend with whom we disagree becomes our opponent, who becomes our enemy, who's trying to destroy us, and therefore they're labeled toxic people and thus worthy of being walled off from us if we can't get them to apologize by crawling back on their belly. In fact, we don't even want to listen to an apology. After all, if they're toxic, why should I listen to them? Why should I give them a chance? And this is just as damaging to our souls as any addiction, any hatred, any long black train of destruction driven by the devil. But this is not new. Only the words have changed over the centuries. And only the fields of battle, the issues, the worries, the arguments, only those have changed. For ever since we left the garden, we have argued and worried about losing our arguments. Cain killed Abel because God liked Abel's offering better than Cain's offering. And for Cain to admit he was wrong was too shameful. And so Cain killed his brother rather than admit he was wrong. And so Jesus looked around at his disciples and he saw the struggles of everyone around him. He saw the arguments that were going on and he realized that it was time for a change. It was time for the harvest to begin, for people to be brought out of the world around and back to the garden, to the kingdom of God, to a simpler place without harassment and helplessness. It was a place where the good shepherd could protect the people from danger. And so he told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And Jesus began that day to change the world through his disciples. For he understood that Cain was damaged much more than Abel, even though Abel was killed by Cain. Abel lost his body. Cain almost, almost or maybe did lose his soul. 
Jesus understood that the man who steals property from another is damaged much more than the one who lost the property. Jesus understood that the man who refuses to listen to another is hurt much more than the one who's being shut out. Hatred and the canceling of another person puts you on that long black train driven by the devil. It damages your soul. For when we kill people, our soul is terribly damaged. When we steal, our soul is permanently scarred. When we refuse to listen to other people, we cut off sources of wisdom and knowledge and fool ourselves into believing we know and understand much more and all that's necessary. It's like revenge. For all of these are forms of revenge. Murder and thievery, canceling and shutting out another person. We know that seeking revenge, you've heard this, it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It harms us far more than the person we seek revenge against. Our soul, the image of God within us, is slashed as if our soul were the Mona Lisa and a man with a butcher knife had cut into it. And when we seek revenge, when we murder, when we steal, when we cut off someone, we're slashing our own image of God, our very own personal painting of God, our soul. We're, we're putting our soul on that long black train driven by the devil. So how should we deal with difficult situations and difficult people? How do we deal with toxic people? Well, Jesus sent his disciples out into the world around them. He told them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, and if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. He told them not to beg or call down wrath, but to gently walk away and let God handle the situation. He didn't say to cut them off. He did say that those who would not listen, to those who would not listen, truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Notice he wasn't saying for the disciples to cut off and build walls and hate about those who would not listen. But instead he was saying, just walk away and let God handle them. Yet be open to those who later want to talk. For as we know, there were other commands given at other times, like honor your father and mother. And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And those were not conditional. Those were to apply to everybody. Taken as a whole, Jesus was telling us to have conversations, gentle conversations with each other. Cutting off toxic people is not an option. Loving people is what we're called to do. But we're not told to be idiots. He also said, recognizing the, the nasty situations around us, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. In other words, the world is vicious. Therefore, Jesus said, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. In other words, think carefully about what you do and say, but always seek good. Yet there'll come a time when you will get in serious trouble, but don't worry about it. Be on your guard, he said. You might be persecuted or arrested. You might even be betrayed by a family member, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The world teaches us to win 
by fighting and has taught us many ways to fight. Jesus chose to teach us how to win by not fighting. Instead, he taught us how to win through love. His, his apostle Paul told us this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He said, you know, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still toxic, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't declare anyone as a toxic person, for that's declaring that our relationship is hopeless. Instead, he died for us all while we were still jerks. He didn't need to help us. He could have only focused on the good people. But instead, he chose to sacrifice himself for us while we were still jerks. I know that the world around us is filled with jerks. And you know there's many other words I could use to describe people. Two-thirds of the people in this county and in this state don't claim a home church. They may claim to be Christians, but they're not following Christ because they're not following Christ's commands. They're simply doing what they want to do. They're picking and choosing so they don't have to do anything difficult. Would they die for a friend like Jesus did? I doubt it, for they've declared that they don't want to associate with other Christians, and they don't want to get out of bed on Sunday mornings. They don't think they can be taught anything new. And so they remain jerks who call themselves Christian and damage the good name of those who are trying to learn what Jesus wants. Many, in fact, have labeled all Christians as toxic. Or to be fair, many say organized religion is toxic. And so they've become jerks themselves. It's too bad. We don't need more jerks for Jesus. They're like sheep who are walking in a pasture, far from the other sheep, trying to graze and fill their tummies with good food, but we can see the wolves, the wolves of sin skulking around them, watching them. We tell them that they can join us in the safety of our flock, but they say, that's okay, I'm okay. There's no wolf eating me. I'm enjoying the pasture here. I don't want to come into a flock because I once joined a flock, and someone pushed me out by myself, so I'll just graze out here alone. And we can see the wolves circling near our friend. You trying to graze on your own because you've got separated from a flock once? Because a flock knocked you outside and left you behind? Maybe it's time to join one of the hundred or so flocks in this county. Some move fast, some move slow, some walk along the edges of the hills, some run from wolves and some run toward wolves. But most are much better than walking alone where there are wolves. True Christians who are in the flocks we call churches are called to a higher standard than the world around us. For we have much more hope than the world around us. As Paul said, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. But hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. And you know, this has been a consistent refrain for, of God throughout the ages. He told Moses to tell the Israelites in the desert, you yourselves have seen what I did to Israel, I mean to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. 
Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. And though the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people of Israel all responded together, we'll do everything the Lord has said. Have you said that honestly? Dealing with difficult people through love, it's tough. It's a lot easier to punch back. But if it were easy, the world would be controlled by the kingdom of God because that's what Jesus desires. There are many wolves running around in our world, and we, the Christians, we begin as sheep, helpless and harassed. But we're called to become the great Pyrenees, the guardians of the sheep. If you see a lost sheep out in the, flick, in the fields around our flock, speak with them. Share the sermon with them. Listen to their story. Show the strength that has developed in you over the years of you as you've learned more and more about how to change from being a helpless, harassed sheep and become a sheep guard. For we're to proclaim the kingdom of God and teach what the Good Shepherd has taught us to all people, toxic people, jerks, and gentle sheep. We are to proclaim, we are to bark. Don't stop barking. And if you have a toxic person in your life, pray for them. And encourage them by becoming their friend. Don't give up your convictions about what's right and what's wrong, but just as Jesus did, love them that they may be saved. Stay off that long black train of hatred. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Thank you, and God bless you in your life.